nice to have, it becomes a non-essential when money gets tight. Write that down. A nice to have becomes a non-essential when money gets tight. Okay, so this episode is going to be one really focused on how to have success in your coaching business in 2023. Again, this is one of these episodes where this is going to be like a little cousin cookout. I'm going to keep it 100 with you, okay? We're about to have a heart-to-heart conversation. Um, We're about to just have a really frank, honest dialogue. So if you need to put some headphones on because you don't want your boss to hear you around the cubicle, if you need to move, you know, switch rooms, it might get a little bit PG-13 today. Okay, it's it's probably going to get PG-13 today. Um, the reason being is that, you know, I was I've, I've been in this situation where I've been doing a lot of reflection this past year and really being proactive as a business owner, strategically thinking about what's going to be required for myself, for my clients and for the coaching industry as we transition into 2023. And given where the economy is at, given where inflation is at, given where what is happening with the business cycles at large in our economy, how does that impact us as a coaching industry? And this episode, like I said, it's, it's just I'm going to just keep it 100 with y'all. OK, um, outside of that, we've recently opened enrollment for a, a 12 week accelerator cohort that we're going to be doing at the beginning of 2023 called Lean Launch. And I have over 100 people have applied for this program. I have been reviewing applications. I mean, <laughs> every moment that I have of the day. And there is an alarming pattern that I am noticing of the 100 100 people who've recently applied for the program. Um, and I've also noticed some patterns around what has led clients to continue to be successful, um, you know, this year in 2022 when I'm looking at my own client roster. So I have, like I said, we gonna, I'm going to keep it 100 with you today in this episode. It's going to be a lot of truth telling um, and a lot of raw honesty. So just put your headphones on, get your notebook out. Um, y'all already know I'll be snatching edges and we about to be in a nice little chokehold today. Okay. Um, cause I think the, the, I want to talk about some non-negotiables that you're going to need to have in place in your coaching business. If you want to actually have profitability and see, um, you know, revenue growth in 2023. And I'm letting you know, now this is the shit that your business coach has not even told you about. This is the shit that your favorite Instagram influencer or the most popular business coach that you watch online probably has not broken down and nor have they discussed in their free content. Um, And it's either because of one of two things. One, they're not paying attention to what's happening at the economy at large and how that's impacting the coaching industry. Or two, they haven't been in business long enough to actually ride the wave of a business cycle through the peaks and the valleys to understand that this is coming. So I'm not sharing this to like freak anybody out or to, to you know, I, people like to use a lot of like um, fear, scarcity tactics in their marketing. This is not that. But this is the conversations that I'm having with my tax strategist, the conversations I'm having with my business consultants. This is the conversation that I'm having with my clients in our highest level mastermind legacy. These are the conversations that I think you as a CEO of your company need to be strategically thinking about because part of your job as a business owner is to do future forecasting and future projections not just from a cash flow perspective, but from the perspective of what is going on in the economy at large and how is that impacting me as a small business owner. So this is just my little forewarning. Um, If y'all are ready to go, just type in a let's go in the chat, throw some hearts up on the screen, buy a badge, do whatever you need to do to signal it. But we about to get it in. So 
When it comes to launching and filling your coaching program in 2023, um, I recently shared this on my Instagram stories, and I'm going to high-level re-break this back down. There is a huge difference between being an effective coach, being a person that sells a coaching offer, versus being a uh, CEO who is building a coaching company. And there's two lines of demarcation between those identities. And I, I want to start the conversation off with this in perspective, because depending on where you're at in your journey, going into 2023, moving into this next year, too many people have been abusing the process because there's been an overinflation and an over um, injection of cash flow and money into the market. A lot of people have been able to fake it, and they barely making it. A lot of people have been able to get away with weak, generic, broad, uh, non-specific marketing or messaging and still been able to get sales. People have been able to, especially if you started your business in 2019, 2020, 2021, it's been the wild, wild fucking West out here. And not in a bad way, but there's been a lot of discretionary spending in the marketplace with consumers. So when there's an over-influx of discretionary spending available to the general consumer, that means people are in a position where they're making buying decisions based off of kind of what's a nice to have, what they desire to have. They're not making buying decisions purely based off of what is urgent and what is a priority need. Like their decision process is different because there's a larger amount of discretionary income in the marketplace, in people's pockets with PPP loans, with stimulus checks, with you know student loans being delayed. It's been delayed now for over a year. That's all extra income that the average consumer that you are selling to has available to, to spend. And when they have all this extra discretionary income to make buying decisions, how they make those buying decisions is different when they're in a position of influx of cash. As we move into 2023, that influx of extra discretionary spending is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And what does that mean for you as a business owner? What does that mean for you as an online coach? What does that mean for the online education industry? What that means from my perspective, and I'm really excited to see a year from now when we come back and rewatch this episode to see Jay, was Jay right? Were Jay's predictions accurate? This is what I believe is going to happen. I believe that a lot of people in the coaching industry are going to be in for a rude wake-up call because if, the, if your messaging, if your marketing, if your uh, positioning of your offers is only addressing a nice-to-have when people only buy it, when they have extra income available versus you positioning yourself and utilizing your skill sets to package and sell an offer that is an absolute necessity, that is solving an urgent problem for a particular person at a specific moment in time, where they're willing to still make the buying decision with you despite what is going on in the economy, I think that you're going to have a really difficult time making sales and making sales consistently as we move into next year. So like, I want to start off with this conversation with some context, because that context of what is happening in the industry, the context of what is happening with extra discretionary income when people are making buying decisions is going to impact your sales. It's going to impact like how you, the, the qualifications and the type of clients that you attract. It's going to impact your conversion rates. It's going to impact your payment recovery rates. And if you are trying to build a coaching business, or maybe you're in a position where you know, you're getting laid off, there's less and less security in your nine to five job, or you're really trying to build out a sustainable um, side business, a sustainable supplementary income with your coaching. Like these are things that we need to take into consideration because this is going to impact how you design, craft, and shape the offers that you sell. 
So let me pause there for a moment. Like, are we on the same accord? The context I think is really important for me to because that this the context of what I just shared is going to shape the suggestions and the perspective that I'm going to be rolling out for the remainder of this episode. Um, but one of the like and and I have I have my notes up here because I don't want to miss anything. So I, five things that we need to pay attention to um, as we move into 2023 to continue to have success in your coaching business. The very first thing is that niching down is a non-negotiable. Somebody write that down in the comments, help your neighbor out, take notes in the comments, okay? Niching down is a non-negotiable, 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 non-negotiable. The reason I say it's a non-negotiable is because the numbers don't lie. When I look at the, there's been, I've reviewed a hundred applications for people who've applied for this 12-week cohort for next year. I've reviewed 104 applications. When I look at those 104 applications, 30 of those 104 people are even qualified to join us in this Lean Launch cohort so far. I still have, a, I still have another maybe 40 or 50 applications I need to get through. But the thing that I want you guys to look at is that these applicants that have applied so far are applying in every state in this country. They are applying in different countries in the world. They are in different niches from business coaching, career coaching, life coaching, health coaching, mindset coaching, all industries. Do you want to know the people who are actually making money? The people who are generating more than $10,000 a year in their business with private one-on-one clients. The only people who are making money based off of all these applicants, I think this is a good data pool, are the ones who have a clear niche identified. And I think that the there has been a level of, again, what I mentioned earlier about context, if you were selling mindset coaching, life coaching, some more ger- generic, broad, you know, I help you find your purpose, I help you discover your passion, I help you build your business, like if you've been selling a more, you know, I help you manifest making money, no shade on it. But a lot of the fluffy bullshit is not going to convert with the same level of success that it might have been converting in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Like I said, this is going to be a PG-13 episode. I'm probably going to hurt somebody's feelings. And if your feelings are hurt, I apologize in advance. But I'm just telling you what I see based off the data of the clients that have had success with me in leverage, the clients that have had success with me in my legacy program, the, the success that I'm even seeing from applicants. The fluffy shit ain't gonna keep flying. And I think that niching down, this is why I say is a non-negotiable. And it's not even about like, confidence is not enough to generate cash flow. Confidence is no longer enough. I can't just be like, well, God, I really want this to work out. Baby, child, you can pray for it all day, but like there's a level of practicality that also has to be put in motion in order for it to actually produce fruit. You can't sit here and look at your your soil and be like, God, I wish there was a harvest, but you're not planting seeds that actually have the capability to grow. You're not tending those seeds on a consistent basis to nurture that soil so so the seed grows. You can't just keep looking at the soil, expecting a harvest to come because you believe and you manifested it for long enough. Like, and I'm just, and I'm saying this because like, if, in, if you are somebody who's watching this right now and you've been having hesitancy, fear, doubt that niching down will actually benefit you, please let this be the sign. Niching down is going to be the non-negotiable. The non-negotiable. 
You're even going to see me, Jerisha Hawk, seven-figure business owner, niching down next year. Because the, the uh, part of the reason why, you, why we are niching down and why I believe niching down is a non-negotiable is primarily because, going back to the context of what I said earlier about discretionary income in the marketplace, people are, like, when you are selling a broad or generic item, the consumer may choose to cut that from their spending because it's a non-essential. It's a non-essential. A nice to have, it becomes a non-essential when money gets tight. Write that down. A nice to have becomes a non-essential when money gets tight. And even if your money isn't tight, because there is unpredictability about what is going to happen in the marketplace, like I think about a lot of my friends who are millionaires. They got the money in the bank but they're not making buying decisions on things that are non-essential because they don't know what is going to happen in the market. They'd rather be liquid and have cash than be overspending on shit they really don't need. So when we think about this, if you have been selling a nice to have, it is going to become a non-essential. So what does that mean for you as the coach? What does that mean for you as the business owner? How do you position yourself, position your offer so that you become a non-negotiable? Where whatever it is that you're selling, the skill set that you are providing, the thing that you are teaching is an, an, an essential for the consumer that you are selling it for. And the only way to identify a non-negotiable in somebody's life is to niche down. To niche down on the person that you are solving that problem for and to niche down on the problem that you are solving for that person. To niche down on the vehicle that you are using to facilitate that, that transformation. If you are unwell, like that, that's just, some of y'all might need to leave right now. That might be all you needed to hear. Like number one, niching down is a non-negotiable. If you're selling a nice to have, it's going to become a non-essential. And, and this happens every business cycle. We always go through influxes and decreases with this in our industry, within our economy. There are periods of time when we are out here just balling out, buying all type of stuff. You know, we over here just buying everything off of the QVC, buying everything off of the, well, it's $9.99, you know, the infomercial, we just buying it all. We see an ad on Instagram, it's like, you know what? I do want a panda pillow for my bed. Let me just go ahead and buy it. Like, but now you, there was, there was a, a, a quicker reflex to just buy things because it was a nice to have because we had the money. With inflation rates going up, discretionary spending going down, there is no longer this large surplus of extra cash being pumped into the marketplace with PPP loans and stimulus checks and whatever happens with these student loan deferments. Like there's no more student loan, like student loans are still being deferred, but there's no longer any more mortgage deferments, like de deferred payments. Like people are having to cough up the cash. And I think there's a lot of people, Wall Street Journal has talked about this. Bloomberg has shared about this. Like you can go Google this in the normal media outlets. There are so many people who bought cars in last year the amount of cars that have been repossessed is through the roof because people can't make the damn payment. They can make the payment when they weren't having to pay their mortgage because it was deferred. They can make the payment when they weren't having to pay their rent because it was deferred. They were able to make the payment when their student loans were deferred. They can make the payment when there was extra money in the, in, in the industry. But now money is, I'm not saying money is drying up, but this extra free money, this extra stimulus money is now coming to a close. So, and I'm just saying this again to create context here. As a coach, paying attention to what's happening in the economy at large, we always have to look at how is this impacting my industry and how is this impacting my niche? 
Moving into next year, niching down needs to be a non-negotiable for you. Being specific, precise, tangible with the person that you serve, the problem that you solve, and the vehicle that you use to solve the problem is going to benefit you in being able to continuously generate new business for yourself in next year. All the fluffy, nice-to-have bullshit, child, go make a podcast and do it as a passion project. It's going to be difficult to sell it from from a profitable business perspective. So that's number one. Niching down is a non-negotiable. Selling a nice-to-have is going to become a non-essential. Everybody got that in their notes. I know I'm talking fast. I hope you're not listening slow. We're about to get into point number two. Are y'all ready? I'm going to try to pace ourselves because, child. And again, the numbers don't lie. Like, when I look at my best performing clients that have been able to survive three plus years in business, they all have very tangible niches. They all have super specific um, target demographics that they are going after. Like, they are business coaches for wedding photographers. They are career coaches for academic researchers. They are business coaches for private practice therapists. They are business coaches for... um, you know, certified personal trainers. They are, you know, like career coaches for HR professionals in tech. Like they are niche. It is not just like, well, I help anybody who wants to advance their career. Fuck, that's not going to be, like, that's not going to cut it. Like, oh, I help any type of entrepreneur with systems in their business. Like, what does that even mean? Like, we have to get more specific. Like, we have another client that is in the operations space. She's killing it right now. And she specifically works with clients on setting up their course in Kajabi. It is niche. It is specific. It is tangible. Um, It is dialed in. Like, and that becomes, again, in the prospect's eyes, I want to solve a specific problem that I'm still willing to pay for, even though my money is tight. I'm only going to spend that money on people who are solving a specific problem for a specific niche. I want certainty. Okay, now we're moving on to point number two. People are not paying for your opinion. They are paying for proof that it's possible. Please write that down. People are not, operations is way too damn broad. Way too broad, Narisha. And when I, let me go back. When I talk about niching down, when you say operations, operational support and what somebody needs operationally is totally different depending on the niche that you are addressing. If you're working with a business owner that's making $50,000 a year selling a $27 membership, what they need operationally is night and day different than you if you are targeting a a brick and mortar business that's making $500,000 a year that's selling, you know, um, That's a florist shop. What that florist needs from an operational perspective when they're making $500,000 is night and day different than what some other niche at some particular moment in time in their business needs operationally. Like this is, I'm going to, you know what? I'm actually going to jump points, okay? I'm going to actually come back Um, because that's what I mean by like, it's too generic. Operate, like you can't just say operations or you can't just say systems. You can't just say business growth. You can't just say, Like it's not specific enough because when you talk to five different people who are all entrepreneurs, what they need operationally is totally different. Yes, they all need some sort of operations, but the severity of that operations, the the depth and the specificity around what they need operationally is different. And more importantly, priority. 
If you are dealing with a business owner making $50,000 a year, their biggest priority is not operations. Their biggest priority is how do I generate sales? Now, if you're talking to a business owner that already knows how to get sales, already knows how to drive leads, and they're making $2 million a year, their operations is probably a larger priority if they have five team members and they're trying to scale the company. So it's not just about what you can do. It's about what is a priority for the niche that I am trying to target and serve. The, the, even though all businesses need operations, all businesses do not need to prioritize their energy, their time, and their spend on solving that problem right now because they might have a bigger priority that's more important than their operations. So I hope that you guys are like understanding that. Like if you are targeting, you, that's why I say niching down is so important because if you're selling operations, you need to be very, very clear on who is prioritizing spending money on operations versus spending that same money on something else. And be specific. It's not just like, oh, I help businesses with operations. Like that doesn't mean too diddly, that doesn't give me anything specific. Versus if you say I help you know, uh, private practice dentists who have four dentists and they're trying to hire on three more right now and they're losing business, you know, because of uncollected invoices because there is no operational system for payment processing in place. They would prioritize solving that problem because moving into 2023, they want to collect those invoices. So solving the problem of what operational system needs to be in place to collect the invoices for unpaid invoices, especially as they're, I don't know, their their sales are going up is much more important than a dentist who's maybe launching their dentist practice for the first time. Pri operations is not a priority. The biggest priority for that person might be actually getting sales. They would be spending the money on investing in sales and investing in lead generation before they would spend it on operations. So I hope that that example makes sense. Like, if you guys think that you need to niche down, I guarantee you, you're right. If you're questioning, if my, is my niche specific enough? I can guarantee you that it's not. Because if you're having to ask the question, that means there's a level of uncertainty that even you have. And that level of uncertainty is a proof enough that it's probably not clear enough. And the second thing that, to help validate it is, you know if you're niche enough, look at your sales. Are you getting the sales that you want? Are you getting the conversion rates that you want? Are you getting the, like, or are you being met with objections where your prospects are choosing not to invest with you and choosing to prioritize spending the same money somewhere else? Your conversion rates will tell you. Like if you have been selling an offer for the last year and you've only converted two clients, I can guarantee you there's something off with your niche. Something is off. Like if you've been actively selling, actively getting on sales calls and you're not converting, there's something off. So like at the end of the day, business is not for the faint of heart. I think too many of us get into business with this expectation of entitlement that because we started a business, we expect people to buy from us. Business is one of the most brutal, brutal industries for any of us to choose to get into because the amount of risk that we take when starting a business is through the roof. And what is required for us to not only get the initial marker of success, but then to sustain that success, by day it changes. By day, the market conditions change. By day, the economy changes. By day, new people are coming into the industry. Our competitive landscape changes. It is a constant, constant, constant state of continuous improvement. And the reason why I'm making this episode is I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I'm being a truth teller. And sometimes the truth hurts. The same truth that I'm telling you right now is the same shit I'm having to process for my own business. Like, fuck, 
You know, it's like, this has been working so good for the last three years. I don't want to change. That is my ego. In business, we are not entitled for market conditions to not shift, you know? So I do want to clarify that. Like, it's just, you know, if if anything that I'm saying right now is feeling like a, a, a punch in the gut, it's like, wake, I'm, I'm glad I'm giving you this information before you see it in your cash flow. Because it's coming. Like, this shit is coming. Um, and I just, I, I would rather prepare you for what's coming so that you can be strategic over these next few weeks and it going into next year to, so that you can maintain competitive advantage despite what is going on. You about to see coaches dropping like flies. You about to see some of the biggest names that you admire. They're changing their entire business models. They're changing their offer structures. They're changing their price points because what they were doing in 2019, 2020, and 2021 is no longer working in 2023. All of us are making shifts. So you need to be making the shift too. But I hope that that helps what I mean by niching down. So let's move into number two, okay? People are not paying for your opinion. They are paying for proof that it is possible. People are not paying for your opinion. They are paying for proof that it is possible. Your proximity to the problem is the only way that you will actually make money as a coach in 2023. So this is what I want you to write down in your notebook. People are not paying for your opinion. They are paying for proof that it is possible. And I want you to write down what is my proximity to the problem that I'm solving. Your proximity to the problem is needs to be the only thing that you try to sell next year. Selling problems that you have close proximity to. And when I talk about they're not paying for your opinion, they're paying for proof that it is possible. This goes back to a lot of what I, I share with you guys about leverage your existing skill sets based off results that you have already gotten to craft an offer that you will sell. I am People are not going to be out here just paying because you have a good idea, paying because you have an opinion about what they should do. I do not care about your opinion. What have you done to back up that your opinion is actual proof of a, of a tangible result that you've been able to get? I don't want your advice based off of what you heard somebody else say. I do not want your advice based off of some course you took from somebody else doing results, I do not want to pay for your opinion based off of your opinion is not qualified if you do not have close proximity to solving that problem. All opinions, everybody has an opinion. All opinions do not need to be actually taken as constructive feedback. Like we, people, you know, I was, again, going through applications for the lean launch and there was somebody who applied saying that they, they help individuals become millionaires. Okay, that's like my, my first question when somebody makes a promise like that is, one, are you a millionaire? And two, what proximity do you have to actually witnessing somebody else becoming a millionaire that now you can teach somebody how to do? You don't have close proximity to the problem because you either have not personally experienced it for yourself or you are not in close proximity to somebody else who has experienced it. Let me give you another example. Um, you know, we had somebody who was applying for the program where their parents ran a mechanic shop. Their parents ran a, you know, brick and mortar mechanic shop where they fix cars. Now, this individual has never fixed a car a day in their life with their own hands, but they have close proximity because they have a family business that they ran, they worked in, they grew up with. If they wanted to create a coaching program teaching other mechanics on how to build their mechanic shop, they have close proximity to the problem. 
Now, if you don't know shit about cars, you ain't never fixed a car in your life, you ain't got no family members that you have close proximity to of people who've ran a mechanic shop, do not create a coaching offer teaching people how to build a mechanic shop. Like you have, you do not have close proximity to the problem. So what I mean by this is that people are not, as we move into next year, stop selling offers that you do not have close proximity to actually knowing how to solve. Like that's what it really boils down to. Really, really boils down to. And like the, I think the only thing that will actually still sell if you're still selling a nice to have or selling your opinion when you don't have close proximity to the problem are offers that are cheaper than $1,000. And now if you're selling some $19 ebook, a $37 digital course, a $200 digital course, a lot of this may not be applicable for you. But if you're, if you're selling something that is less than $1,000, keep trying to be generic. I still think that there's more sophistication in messaging more sophistication in the promise that you are delivering in the program that is going to be needed. But if you are selling anything more than $1,000 moving into 2023, people are not going to pay you $2,000 for an opinion that is not backed up by proof that it's possible based off results that you've gotten, based off of proximity that you have to that problem. If you are not qualified to teach someone something based on mastery of a skill set, that you have developed based off of work that you have put in, based off of results that you have gotten, you need to be looking for another form of employment next year because it's going to be brutal for you in the coaching industry and in the education industry. If you are selling something more than $1,000, make sure that whatever promise you're selling, whatever problem you're solving, you have, pro- you have close proximity to actually being able to solve that problem. A lot of you guys are selling stuff that's more than 1000 bucks. That is for you. And when I say mastery of a skill set and a like the other thing that we have to pay attention to in our space is like every good singer doesn't win American Idol, right? Every good singer doesn't get signed by a record label and become famous, even though there's so many good singers in the world. There's a lot of really great dancers. They don't all get picked up to be Chris Brown's, you know, starring cast at his concert. There's a lot of people who are really good at playing basketball. Less than 1% make it to the league. There's a lot of people who are good at playing football. Less than 1% make it to the league. Knowing how to do something is no longer enough. It's no longer enough. Being good at singing, being good at playing basketball, being good at whatever it is that you do to me is no longer enough. You also, have a, you also must have a perspective about how it needs to be done that is worth sharing that people want to pay attention to. Michael Jordan, prime example. The man is a beast at basketball. He's not just good enough to make it to the league. He fundamentally changed the landscape of how the game has been played based off of his approach to how he played the game. Steve Curry, you know, um, I mean, uh, what's his name? The Curry, Stephen Curry. What's his name, Stephen? Stephen Curry. You think about even Curry playing the game. He's changed the game because of how good he got at the three-point shot. So I want you to think about what problem is it that you solve What is your unique perspective on how that problem is solved that is worthwhile to listen to because it is radically different than what everybody else is saying? And part of that radical differentiation a lot of time comes back to niching down. There's a lot of business coaches. Pick a niche that most people aren't targeting based off of experience that you had. Like that's what allows your perspective to also penetrate 
because it allows you to speak to more of the specifics around what that particular niche is experiencing so that you can be more dialed in. You can differentiate yourself based off the verbiage and the language that you're using in your messaging. But knowing how to do something is not enough to like make $50,000, to make $100,000, to make half a million dollars as a coach. You must be effective at teaching someone else how to get the result for themselves and even better at articulating your value by way of having a perspective that is radically different from your marketplace. So do you guys get what you guys get what I'm saying? Like being good, be, knowing how to do something is not enough to get high ticket sales, to sustain client conversions. This works I, to, me, to me, this works in any industry, every industry. I mean, every industry that you look at, people are not like, if you look at even Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, um, what's her name? The other girl that came out with the beauty line. There's Rihanna and Selena Gomez. They're all selling the same fucking product. They're all selling makeup, concealer, foundation, lip gloss, bronzer. It's all the same thing. But knowing how to make a product is not enough. Like, I want you to say about this. Just because you know how to create clothes doesn't mean that it's... A lot of people know how to create clothes. That doesn't mean that it's going to... I want you to start thinking of the distinction between I know how to do something good versus how do I now position this in the marketplace for it to be competitive? Kylie Jenner, they're all doing, there's a point of distinction. Being good at basketball, being a good clothing designer, being a good teacher, being a good coach, knowing how to run business, just because you know how to do it doesn't mean that you're going to win when it comes time to sell it. So that's where it's like, this is, I talk about this a lot with my clients is that you have to know there's two different hats that you're wearing. There's a delivery hat of like, do I actually know how to do the thing it is that I'm selling? And then there's this other hat that you have to learn how to wear of like, do I know how to effectively articulate my value? Do I now, it's, it's around the sales. It's around the marketing. It's around the messaging. It's around the, uh, the positioning. It's around the point of differentiation. It's not just, can I do the thing? That's cost of entry if you want to start a business and actually get sales in your business. The other point of distinction now is, do I know how to effectively market, sell, position, articulate my value? Like, do I have, and I want you guys to think about it like this, do I have a perspective that is radically different that's worthwhile for people to pay attention to? Like is, you know, and out of these applications that I've been going through, out of the 100 applications that I've reviewed so far, I was really disheartened to see how many people were not using their social media platform to share their perspective. Like, I want you to go to your own Instagram account because if you're not using social media and you're starting a business, like this is, it's a, it's, it's a free tool that you can be using to get in front of qualified leads. But I want you to look at your social media account. I want you to look at the last nine or 12 posts that you've published. How many of those posts were your perspective? Too many people are out here using their Instagram, trying to be influencers, entertaining people versus if you're selling a coaching offer and you're trying to like, if you're selling coaching based off of proof that of what is possible based off of mastery of a skill set that you have and you are not sharing your perspective, you cannot have the expectation that people are gonna want to pay to work with you. If all of your social media content is somebody else's quotes, some random ass graphics from Canva of quotes and perspectives that aren't even things that you've said, you might double tap it and co-sign it, but it's not, it wasn't your perspective. Or you are creating reels with only audios of somebody else talking and you dancing in the background because you're trying to use a trending reel to get reach. This is the wake up call. 
If you say you want to build a business and you say you want to help people, how can you help people if you're not sharing your perspective? Because I don't know if you can help me because I don't even know what you believe. I don't even know what proof you have. I don't even know what you think about this particular topic. Like, so it's like, it's, if, if, if you are unwilling to share your perspective, you cannot have an expectation that people are going to pay you for your services. I just, those two things can't coincide. In my opinion, based off of my experience, based off of the clients who I've seen success, like you have to have an opinion. And if you do not have an opinion based off, again, what is proof of what's possible? What is your perspective based off results that you have gotten, based off experience that you have? You need to calibrate your expectations. Because why should I pay you if you aren't even telling, like, wait a minute. Like, why should I be paying you? I don't even know what you believe in. I don't even know what proof you're bringing to the table. I don't even know what perspective you have. Why should I just trust that because you have a website and because you have a checkout link, that's all the trust I need to spend $2,000, $3,000, $6,000 with you. It's like, hold on, playboy. <laughs> make this make sense. This math ain't mathing. So like, this is the, again, people aren't paying for your opinion. They're paying for proof that it's possible. And your proximity to the problem is what allows you to then articulate what your perspective is. Because the closer proximity you have to the problem, you know what the issues are. You know the nuances, you know the ins and outs, so that you can, now you can speak on that behalf. Child, this is like one of those cousin cookouts where it's like, oh shit, Jay, Jay really getting into it now. I was over here drinking my uh, sweet tea. I need to put some Hennessy up in this one on today. Jay just, whoo child. This is one of these sessions where like, listen, y'all, this is free game. Free game. Free game. Are we ready to move into point number three? I'm going to get on to number three. I want you to write down volume versus quality of the volume. Volume does not matter if the perspective, if the quality is not there. The volume of the leads that you get, it does not matter if the quality is not there. All leads are not made equal. And I'm going to write, have you write down an equation, Okay. What I said is volume. I want you to write down volume versus quality of volume. I think too many of us have been focused on, especially with all these algorithm changes, and I get it. Like I've even been, you know, sucked into this myself and I'm having to remind myself, Jay, what are we chasing right now? What are we, what are we de defining as success right now? Having a volume of people, like this actually happened to one of the clients that applied for the, the cohort for next year. She was like, I've been posting my content consistently. I've been creating reels. I've been sharing my perspective. And a few of my videos went viral. She said, what happened though, when it went viral, even though those videos got tens of twenties of thirties of thousands of views, it ended up attracting a bunch of volume to her. A bunch of people were applying to book a call with her. They were all unqualified. Going viral can break you especially if you do not have the capacity to actually respond to that volume. And more importantly, when that volume is of unqualified people. So as you're thinking about lead generation and what you're investing in for your marketing and to attract new leads, I want you to focus more on what is the quality of the volume that I am attracting, not just how much volume I'm, I'm getting on my business. Because again, moving into next year, like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. To me, it doesn't matter how many people view your videos. None of that shit matters if the quality is not in congruent with what the volume actually is. So 
trending audio reels will get you reach. That is very true. But you'll go viral and end up attracting a bunch of unqualified, uncommitted leads. So if you are going to be using reels, which I use reels myself, but you see how I use reels differently than how an influencer uses reels. I use reels differently than how content creators use reels. The only thing that I want to go viral is a perspective that I'm sharing that correlates to the offer that I'm selling. I don't want Jerisha going viral off of me, shaking my ass to some, I don't know, the cuff it challenge. Like, that's why you will never see me dancing to the cuff it challenge on a reel on my newsfeed. Now, you might see it in my stories. You might see it in my private content for my VIP subscribers. I might send that shit to my friends or let my friends post it on their Instagram, but I'm absolutely, because I know, I know if I end up doing the cuff it challenge, looking cute and whatnot on my Instagram reel, guaranteed that's going to be the shit that goes viral just because of karma, just because of life. And it's like, why do I want something that does not pertain to the perspective that I have to what is influencing how people make buying decisions that is not congruent and in alignment with the offer that I'm selling? Why do I want that to go viral? I don't want that to go viral. Because all it's going to do is give me an influx of new followers who don't have anything to do with the thing that I'm selling. So when we think about quality of volume, this is what I want you to write down. Your social media platform is not for your social engagement. It is 100% for your business. Like, even though my account is Jerisha Hawk, I'm not going to create another, I might create a fake Instagram account just to add my friends to it. But I'm not going to create another business account for me to manage. This account is 100% for attracting qualified leads, having conversations with qualified leads, generating um, revenue for my business. That is it. So if you are using your social media account, and this only is in the context that you want to use Instagram as a way to generate leads. You want to use your podcast as a way to generate leads. You want to use Facebook as a way to generate leads. If you're using the social media platform as a primary way to generate leads for your business, the majority of the content that you publish on your newsfeed needs to be congruent with the values of your business, the brand of your business, the offer that you're selling, the perspective that you're sharing. That is congruent with how people are making buying decisions as it relates to the offer that you're selling. All that other shit, text it to your friend. Keep it in your phone. Like, and that's just what I believe because I think a lot of us do not have the capacity to do both really, really well. It's not to say that you can't show your personality or share your personal life on your social media account because I share both, but the, I'd say 80%, 90% of what I share is 100% congruent with the business that I'm building because I'm using this real estate of my Instagram account as a primary way to generate leads for my business. Not to find a husband, not to, you know, get likes from some dude that's, you know, tall, dark, chocolate, and handsome with some abs. I'm not using this account to, you know, find my next dinner date. Like, I'm not, that's not what this account is for. I'm not using this account to, to fake like I have my life together. I'm not using this account to, like, make my friend from high school that was mean to me jealous. Like, that's not what this is for, okay? Like, that's not what this is for. I'm not using this account... My real friends, I text them or I send them private DMs. They always tell me, Jay, why don't you post more of your life on social media? Because I'm like, my Instagram is not, it, it's social media. To me, it's not my social life. Like my, my social media is like my, my news outlet for my business. That's it. That's all it's for. That's all it's for. 
So my friends, I will see you on the weekend. I will text you the little funny memes that I run past in your DMs, or I'll talk to you in the stories as a close friend. But that's it. So I want you, to, I want you guys to write down this equation because as you start thinking about the content that you're putting out that is generating volume for your business, this is, these are the three things that are required to attract quality volume, okay? It's perspective plus personality plus presence. Those are the three factors that need to be considered when you are creating content with the goal of generating quality volume for the quality leads. Perspective plus personality plus presence. We've already talked a lot about perspective already in this episode. The second thing is personality. Your personality must be visible if you are using social media as a primary way to generate leads for your business. Again, when I was reviewing applications for this cohort, it was so many people. I'm like, I'm like, stop. This is what I'm going to write. This is, this is a public service announcement, okay? Especially for my brown folks, especially for my brown folks. Stop whitewashing your content. I'm saying it and I'm saying it again. Stop whitewashing your content. Too many of us, and I know this is difficult for black women. I know this is difficult for brown women. And I'll talk about that perspective here in a moment. But stop whitewashing your opinions. Stop whitewashing your perspective. Stop whitewashing the content that you put out. Stop dimming your light. Too many of us are dimming our light because we are trying to be palatable. We are trying to be palatable. We are trying to ensure that we do not make somebody else uncomfortable. And I understand why we do that. I understand why women do this. And I understand why black and brown people do this. Because being palatable and making sure that we are presenting ourselves in a way that does not cause somebody else to be uncomfortable was how we survived in corporate America. And a lot of us, that's how we survived in our day-to-day in our neighborhoods. That's how we survived through school. By being palatable, by not being noticed, by blending in, by whitewashing ourselves. I get it. I had to do the same shit when I was in corporate. I wouldn't wear my natural hair. When I went on interviews, I would get a blowout. I wouldn't wear my braids to work. I'd only wear my braids or my passion twist when I went on vacation. I know that you can relate. If you are a woman, you would try to make yourself palatable based off of the attire that you would wear. Before you would go into work, you'd be mindful of how short is my skirt? How high are my heels? Is this color too bright, too bold? Is my eyeshadow too, is it too distracting? I, I know because I have been there. I know because I have been there. This is one of these truths that you have to unlearn and recognize that it is safe for you to be seen. It is safe for you to be seen 100% as you are. It is safe for you to be seen. I'm going to say that again. It is safe for you to be seen. And I know for a lot of us, being seen at some point in time in our life was not safe. Being too pretty, too done up, too cute, too short of a dress, too high of a heel, too ebonic with our attire. I understand that at another point in your time, it may not have been safe. But when it comes to building your business, when it comes to walking in the calling that God has placed on your life, when it comes to executing and sharing your expertise, sharing your intellectual property, displaying your skill sets, it is safe for you to be seen. 
So I encourage you. I know I get it's emotional. I'm trying not to cry. I have to literally remind myself of this over and over and over and over again that, Jay, it is safe for you to share your perspective. It is safe for you to make somebody else uncomfortable because you're being who you are. That is not your responsibility to manage their reaction of you. It is not your responsibility to manage their their emotional state of, of because of you just showing up as you are. There is nothing wrong with who you are. Every part of who you are is 100% enough right now. You are worthy and deserving exactly as you are in this moment in time. The only way to attract quality leads on a consistent basis is for you to show yourself, to show your face, to share your voice, to share your perspective, to showcase the personality, the quirks, the weirdness, the opinions of who you are. It is safe for you to be seen. Let them let, let God use y'all. Whoever's crying, let God use you, okay? Honestly, out of everything in business, one of the biggest reasons why businesses fail in the coaching industry is because of this. It's not because they don't have the skill set. It's not because they don't know how to sell. It's not because they don't know how to market. It's not because they they, they don't know how to, you know, to help their clients get the results. It is because they are unwilling to be seen. Being the best kept secret is for the fucking birds. You like, I want you to even like, this is biblical too. Like Jesus didn't hide. Jesus went from town to town, neighborhood to neighborhood, location to location, healing. People thought he was crazy. People didn't like, people, people were trying to kill the man. He did not hide his gifts. So when you think about even yourself, every one of us has to overcome this at some point in time. But you cannot keep hiding, expecting to get results. You've got to stop hiding. You've got to stop hiding. Hiding behind somebody else's opinions, hiding behind somebody else's perspective, hiding behind somebody else's audio reel, hiding behind somebody else's whatever the fuck it is. All of your chocolateness is worthy enough of being the headshot on your website. All of your brownness is worthy enough of being in the video that you record for your live streams. A hundred percent of who you are. You cannot, like, this is the number one thing that stops business owners from succeeding. Is their unwillingness to show up, show their face and share their perspective. This ain't got shit else to do with anything business related. It has everything to do with how you view yourself. Your self-awareness, your self-worth, like how confident you are in just being who you are. So I just, you know, whatever you need to do, pray about it, go to therapy about it, do the healing about it. But this is my challenge to you. For the next seven days, when you wake up in the morning and you go into that bathroom, I want you to look yourself in the mirror. And I want you to tell yourself that it is safe for me to be seen today. I want you to tell yourself you are good enough exactly as you are. I want you to look in that mirror and see yourself because you might not be showing up because you haven't even seen yourself yet. You haven't even given yourself the opportunity to look yourself in the mirror yet. And literally whenever I'm lacking confidence, when I'm struggling around my confidence, when I'm doubting my opinion, if I think I'm being too blunt, too bold, too whatever, if I'm telling the truth just a little bit too truthful, I go in the mirror every morning before I start my day. The first thing that I do when I look in that mirror and I say, Jerisha, it is safe for you to be seen. Your perspective is worth sharing. 
and I look myself in the mirror and I have to see myself before I'm willing to put myself out there for others to see me. (sighs) Child. So that's point number three. That is number three. Perspective, personality, and your presence is required. Show us your personality. Y'all know I like to go to Chick-fil-A. Y'all know I like to go to Qdoba. Y'all know I wear wigs and I name them depending on what they look like. Y'all know I cuss and I'm a Jesus girl. Y'all know, like, y'all know about my personality. I show you my personality. In one live stream, you hear an Ebonics, proper grammar, and made up shit that I'm coming up with word by the day. Like, y'all see me in all of my, my, all of my glory. You see me curling wigs. You see me with my natural hair. Like, you see me. So, like, your personality is part of what is required to earn the trust. And your presence is a non, like, is a non-negotiable. We have to be able to see you in order to be able to pay you. So it's okay for you to showcase who you are. It's okay for us to see the most human version of you. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have all our shit together. We are all, life is happening to all of us every single day. Nobody is expecting perfection from you. But we are looking forward to and expecting to hear your perspective. We want to see your personality. And we want to be able to experience your presence. So that's point number three. Let's go on to number four. Who child? Generic marketing strategies are leaving you burnt out and broke. Generic marketing strategies are leaving you burnt out and broke. Write that down because, child, this is something that woke me up this year. I'm like, Jerisha, what are you doing? Why are you spending money on that? Why are we spending three months doing this? Generic marketing strategies will leave you burnt out and broke. I know many of us have experienced this. Where it's like, I've been doing X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three, ain't led to a sale and I am burnt out. It's because that marketing strategy, and this is the two things that I want to break down. I've never really broken this down this way before, um, but I think it's going to be really eye-opening for a lot of us. I want you to write down, there's two different forms of messaging. There's marketing messaging and there's sales messaging. And this is a really important distinction for a lot of us who are building our businesses, who are using marketing strategies. There is marketing messaging and there is sales messaging. Two different forms of messaging. Marketing messaging is a lot more broad and it's more generic. It typically focuses on the overall features and benefits of a solution and includes the you know, requisite buzzwords like scale, grow, build, purpose, passion, system, strategy, operation, save time, make money. So when you think about marketing messaging, it primarily focuses on the features and the benefits of the solution. Everything I just mentioned is generic. Most people, 90% of my clients, when they come to me, they use generic messaging because they're only focusing on communicating the values of the features and the benefits of the solution that they provide. Their messaging is not addressing all the things that are influencing how a buyer is making a buying decision. So if you are selling your program and all of your messaging is around, hire me as a coach. You get four calls over three months for $3,000. I will customize your client delivery, develop a unique business strategy just for you, And we will help you start, grow, and scale, and launch your business in 2023. That is marketing messaging. 
It's only focused on the features, the components, how many calls there are, when the calls are, how long the calls are. And it's talking about, it's, it's generic and broad in its description. What I just described is how most business coaches sound. I have no fucking idea what you're selling. <laughs> I don't. Um, and part of the reason is, is that most of us who primarily use marketing messaging in our content is because you're really good at what it is that you do. And sometimes you're so good at what you do, you are speaking at the level of awareness that you are at, but you're not speaking at the level of awareness that your prospect is at when they're trying to make a buying decision. You're just really good at what you do. It's like, I used to, I'm an engineer by trade. And when I worked in corporate, anytime that I had to talk to a subject matter expert, like another engineer that had been at the company for 27 years, the way that they would answer my question, I would be like, bruh, I have no idea what you just said. I know that you're a genius. I know that you are brilliantly smart, but you're speaking at a level of awareness that creates this generic umbrella of what it is that you're trying to describe. I have no fucking idea how that, how to take the information you just gave me to take action on it. Don't, no idea what you just said. None, none whatsoever. When I talk to my husband, my husband has four finance degrees. He has over 15 years of experience managing wealth, managing money. Sometimes when I ask him questions about what is an I-bond, babe, what different types of savings account exist? He's just like, oh, we don't use those. I'm like, but what are they? How do they work? What is the function of them? He speaks so broad and so generic because he's so well-versed on that topic. He's not bringing down the information to a level of where I'm at. He's using words, language, analogies, and metaphors for where his expertise is. So I'm like, I have no fucking idea. I literally scheduled a bank. I scheduled a meeting with Chase Bank for next week because I'm like, my husband is so far advanced. Like when it comes to investing, making investment decisions, I can go to him all day and he can explain it to me. But when it comes to just like basic stuff, I don't even know how to ask him the question sometimes because I'm like, I don't even know enough to ask you the question right now. So like I'm stuck and he's stuck too. And we, we, we you know, it's kind of like trying to explain to a three-year-old um, why like they can't jump off the balcony into the pool. So all you just say is don't do it. Don't do it because I told you so. Listen to your mama. But if a kid is like standing on a balcony on a second floor and they see a pool, in their mind, they're like, well, I've seen a, a diving board before. I can jump off the diving board into the pool. Why can't I jump off of this second floor landing into the pool? And it's like, but then what we do as parents, or I'm not a parent, but what do you do as an adult? You're like, you just can't do it. You can't do that. Just listen to me what I say. And then we just expect for them to trust us. Because they're your kid, they will trust you to some degree. And a lot of time they still don't. They still ask and why. But that's what you're doing in your marketing. You are over, be, you're being over generic and being over broad about what it is that you're talking about because you're speaking at it from your level of awareness or you're speaking at it from your level of impatience. You are being impatient with your explanation. Because you don't want to have to explain yourself. You don't want to have to actually do the work of understanding, okay, what is the, from a, for a three-year-old, what is their level of comprehension at this age? What type of information can they digest? What, how, where, how far has their brain developed? And how do I need to communicate this in a way that they actually understand it for where they are, not for where my 30-year-old self is? Some of us are too impatient in our marketing, which is why you end up being generic and broad. Man, literally, I'm about to go see my grandma 
and she's 90 years old. She still does this to me. I'm like, Grandma, my grandma asked me to buy her a white suit. We have a holiday trip that we're going on this weekend. We fly the whole family out. My husband's family comes up. It's like the black home alone. Every, everybody under one roof. And um, my grandma's like, baby, I want you to buy me a, a white suit with a black blouse. I said, for Christmas? She said, yes. I said, grandma, it's December. I don't even know if I can find you a black suit because white, I mean, find you a white suit because it's after Labor Day. Baby, I don't want to hear nothing about it. Just find me a white suit with a black blouse. Like, it's like, there's no explanation. There's no understanding as to like, did she see this in a magazine? Was she inspired by Angelina Jolie on the red carpet or something? Like, did she see, you know, Medea? And it was like, oh, girl, that was cute in the holiday spec. Like, I need some context, Grandma. You just calling me out the blue on a Tuesday saying, baby, find me a white suit for Christmas. I'm like, we're not even taking family photos. I'm like, where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? But, you know, it's just like, baby, sit down and go order me the suit. That's just that's all I know. She's being impatient with her explanation. Hopefully I'll find out. I might not find out, but whatever. So that is marketing messaging. When you're speaking at your level of awareness, and you're speaking at like this broad, generic, describing the features, that's what most people are doing. Only 10% of your existing audience has a level of awareness to make a buying decision based off of marketing messaging, okay? Only 10% of your audience has that level of solution-aware understanding where they hear that messaging and they're able to make a buying decision, When I think about that type of messaging, as I've been like qualifying leads who've been applying for the Lean Launch cohort for next year, the private conversations that I'm having with them, that is marketing messaging. Answering their questions about features, answering their questions about benefits, answering their questions around how the structure of the program is going to work. That is not what I put in my free content for the public. And I think that's really the biggest distinction. Your sales messaging, on the other hand, is specific targeted, precise. It is personalized for your niche at a specific moment in time, relevant to the promise of the offer that you are selling. So all of my free content that I'm using to, you know, that I'm even doing right now on this live stream, that I'm doing in this episode, that I publish on my newsfeed, is marketing, is messaging that is specific, precise, and personalized for that niche that I'm serving at a specific moment in time that they are currently going through that is relevant to the promise that I am delivering. All of my content, my job of my content is to meet my prospect where they're at when they're making a buying decision before they've even applied, before they've even like booked a call. So it's like even this episode today, the episode I'm making today is not talking about the features of my program. It's not talking about the benefits of what it's like to work with me. None of that shit matters yet. For most of you guys, today's topic is about how to have success in your coaching business in 2023. That is meeting you where you are. I'm creating and discussing a topic that is relevant to how you are going to make buying decisions about where you invest in your business, who you invest in your business, how you even structure your business, how you need to be thinking about running your business going into next year. So your your sales messaging is specific, targeted, precise, and personalized for your niche at a specific moment in time that they are currently going through that's relevant to the promise of the offer that you are selling. So I think understanding that distinction between what type of messaging am I actually putting out and where and when is it the most appropriate time to have to discuss that aspect of messaging is really, really crucial. 
And it's going to continue to be really, really crucial as you move into next year. Does that make sense? So generic marketing, all it will lead you to is burnout and being broke because it's not effective. It's not effective for where the majority of your audience is at on their buying journey. 90% of your audience or more is trying to figure out how to make a buying decision. They're trying to diagnose what their problem actually is. They're trying to diagnose what solution that they need. And then and only then are they then trying to decide if you are the solution to solve that problem. We teach the fundamentals of it during their lean launch. And when you get into leverage, we continuously help you with refining this and improving this for your niche and for your offer. This is why our method works. It's 100% based on, on these stages of awareness that a buyer is going through and making sure that there is proper alignment with your messaging based off of how they're making buying decisions. That's like the core of what we teach. That's like the biggest chunk of what we teach our clients. So that's number four. Are we ready to move into number five? Number five. This is the last point I got. Okay, so we're going to go on to number five. I can't believe so many of y'all are still on, on right now. But the number five is really about selling. Proactive selling is required. All this passive bullshit is going to come bite you in the ass if it hasn't already. Like too many people are being too passive with their sales, expecting high returns. So proactive selling is required. And what I mean by proactive selling, and when I talk about being passive, if your business is 100% reliant on a referral, you don't do any active marketing for yourself, you don't do any proactive marketing for yourself, you're not publicly sharing your perspective, you are being passive with how you are generating business for yourself. Like that is, I, I, I recently actually did a whole, a whole Twitter thread on this on Instagram, is that... Um, like uh, around being passive and why we need to stop being so passive in our marketing and stop being so passive with our selling is because we are, if you are allowing your prospects to guide themselves during the sales decision, rather than actively selling and then there being a human that is leading them through that conversation, you're passively selling. I do not, like, I think that if you are selling something more than $1,000, especially more than $2,000, you cannot be passive with your lead generation and you cannot be passive with who is leading that prospect during the sales process. So like too many coaches are giving low effort but expecting high returns. So what I mean by this is there's a twofold. There's the marketing and the lead generation part. So like if you are only relying on word of mouth to do all of your lead gen for you, I think referrals is always going to be a part of business. We always want there to be referrals. We always want our clients to be speaking well on our behalf. We always want our evangelists and people that know about us to be sharing us with other people that they know. That's always something that we want to be maintaining the integrity around. But that's not the only thing that we want our business to be reliant on, especially if the number of referrals that you're getting right now is not meeting the demand that you need for the clients that you're actually converting in your program. So like relying on referrals is great, but if it's not the if 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 those referrals are not generating the the quality and the quality and the quantity of leads that you need, you can't just keep relying on that. Again, that's again just expecting, oh, I have a business, somebody, this goes back to not being seen. Oh, I have a business. I somebody will eventually tell somebody else about my business. I will just wait here patiently and twiddle my fucking thumbs. It's like, no. Referrals, we always want to be investing in that. And maintaining those relationships, monitoring their integrity of the referrals that we're getting, but that should not be 100% what we're reliant on. It's time for you to actively 
participate in your lead generation for your business. And part of that goes back to what we discussed earlier. You need to be showing your face. You need to be sharing your perspective and your presence needs to be visible on the platforms in which you're attracting leads. The second part is that too many people are are passively selling, meaning that when it comes time to a prospect to make a buying decision, there is no human involvement. There is no conversation. You're just like, here's a link, make a decision. It's like, why are you sending people links to make $5,000 decisions without any access to human conversation if they need it? Make that make sense to me. And none of us have enough ego or enough clout or enough market presence to be able to command that level of trust. I barely have that. And I've been consistent for the last seven years online. Like Michelle Obama, Oprah, Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone are probably some of the only people that can do it. (laughs) And even still, even if you think about Grant Cardone, he is on phone. He has a whole sales department. Tony Robbins has an entire sales team. They are proactively selling. So when I think about leading your sales conversation, as this maybe relates to your coaching business, um, is when somebody, when it's time for a prospect to make a buying decision, they have either applied and you've accepted them or whatever, is there a conversation being had? Whether that's through direct message, because that's a conversation via text, via voice memos, via video, via Instagram DM. Is there a conversation being had via email? There's a two-way dialogue that's taking place. Or is there a conversation being had on a call, whether that's on a phone call or on a Zoom call? Stop passively expecting your prospects to guide themselves through the decision-making process. You need to participate in that. So that's like the last thing I I wanted to share is that proactive selling is required, both proactive from the sense of how you are generating leads for your business and proactive in the sense of how you are leading a prospect to make a buying decision. I'm not saying, like, I've, I've reviewed over 100 applications. I've not done one sales call, but I've had damn near 100 sales conversations in the direct message. Even Jerisha, multi-seven-figure business owner, is not too big to, ha- to help somebody make a decision because that your, that's your only job when you're having a sales conversation is to help the prospect make a decision, not for me to get the yes. So, like, you have, if you want to make money, proactively sell proactively participate in your lead generation, proactively participate in the sales conversations. All right, y'all want the bonus tip. This one, I'm gonna just say it the way that I wrote it down in my notes, okay? So we already we already established that this is a PG-13 episode. Stop selling shitty offers. That's how I wrote it down in my notes. Stop selling shitty offers. Stop selling offers that people don't wanna buy. Stop selling offers that people don't understand what it is. You cannot market your way to success with an offer that nobody wants to buy. You cannot, it's it's just, just, we got to get it together. And the reason, this is is literally what I wrote down in my notes because I was like, Jay, I don't know if I'm going to share this on the live stream. (laughs) Like, I don't know if I can say this publicly, but y'all asked for it. Here we are. This is the analogy that I came up with. It's like asking God to bless This food for your body, you're about to receive when you are eating McDonald's or Pizza Hut or Domino's. It's like every time I go to McDonald's and get their little French fries and get their little chicken nuggets, I'd be like, Lord, thank you so much. Please bless this food for the nourishment of my body. And then I have to check myself. Why am I asking God to bless food for the nourishment of my body that was never meant to be in my body? Like God did not grow McDonald's French fries with heavy salt. 
God did not grow whatever artificial chicken that McDonald's is putting in their nuggets. God did not grow whatever artificial meat is in those hamburgers. So like, why am I asking God to bless something that was never meant for my body in the first place, especially me having the audacity to say, please bless this for the nourishment. The nourishment, Jerisha? Really? Like, why are you even about to put that on God? Like, why are you even about to ask him? Like, he can do all things. I understand that. But my, I'm like, Jerisha, you know, good and well. You need to basically only ask God, please let this not kill me today. Please let this not induce a stroke, heart attack, or a clogged artery. That's all I need to be asking for. Like, Lord, I'm about to eat this McDonald's. Just give me a pass on this one. But I can't be asking him to bless this for the nourishment of my body. I know better. The same thing is true in our business. Too many of us are creating offers that are lackluster, lacking nourishment, lacking specificity, lacking perspective, lacking proximity to the problem and asking God to bless us financially with this. He looking at you, you looking at him. Three months then passed, six months then passed, a year then passed, your situation ain't changed. It's like you asking God, come on. Like, just come on. He might give you a pass, give you one, two clients, but he's like, baby, I need you to do better. Okay. You asking me to bless something that was never, this was never the thing that you were intended to do in the first place. So like, I can't, you know, it's like, I remember being in high school and I would pray to God, please let this guy like me, this boy I have a crush on, please, Lord, let him like me back. God knew all along that that nigga wasn't for me. That man was for the streets. So I would get mad at God. Why don't you let, I now remember his name, Deontay. Why can't Deontay like me? Why don't Deontay want to date me? I want Deontay to like me, baby, because he wasn't never meant for you. I'm not about to bless something that I never put my name on. He was never assigned to you. I don't know what Deontay doing with his life at this stage in the world, but child, I wanted Deontay so bad. He wasn't for me. So I'm over here asking God to bless me with a partnership. This man is for the streets, period. He is for the streets. He is not for Jerisha. So like the same thing, this is the, literally the analogy that I wrote down for this bullet point is like good messaging cannot fix a bad offer. Good sales cannot fix a bad offer. Good intentions cannot fix a bad offer. If the offer is too generic, if the offer is positioned for the wrong ideal client, if the offer is positioned for the wrong niche, if the offer is like, if it's not a good offer with a clear promise, with a clear person, with a clear vehicle, you it might not be that you suck at sales. It might not be that you suck at messaging. It may not be that like, this isn't for you. It just might be a bad offer. So be willing to pivot and adapt and evolve and refine and relaunch until you find the right offer. Position for the right person. Tailored around the right problem. With the right program promise and your ability to effectively articulate it. That's all it boils down to. But like too, too many of us are selling too many shitty offers wondering why we ain't making no money. And then the worst, the worst thing is, is then you just go create more. Like, I think part of this is like, I got a little bit riled up because I'm going through all these applications. I'm just like, Lord, 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 Lord. A lot of people need a lot of help. And I'm like, Dre, you're not going to judge them because guess what? You've been in that position. When I first started my business, I had a lot of shitty offers because I didn't know what a good offer even entailed. I did not know what, what shapes, what defines what a good offer is. I did not know. So all I was doing, I was like, well, 
I'm in sales. I know how to sell. Just go keep making offers, which is true. But at some point, if the offer that you're making is not actually selling, if you do not have, this is what a lot of times it boils down to. If you are lacking confidence in the offer that you are selling, it's probably because you are lacking conviction around the offer that you're selling. And if you are lacking confidence, if you're like, man, I have this offer, but like, I don't really know how to market it. I don't really feel good about it. I don't really know if people want to buy it. It's probably not the right offer. Because if you are not, the first person that you have to sell is yourself. If you are not sold on the offer that you are creating, it is going to be very difficult for you to sell somebody else on the offer that you're selling. So like, if you are like, Jay, I just, you know, I have this offer. I have four different coaching offers. One's a one-hour session. One's a two-week session. One's a three-month session. And one is six months. All you're doing is telling me the length of a program. I don't even know what the offer is because the offer does not describe what is the promise of the program. Who is the specific person that it's for? What is the love? What, what are the attributes of urgency around why somebody needs to solve this? What are the objections that somebody has as it correlates to using this vehicle to get this result? It's a shitty offer. Really, it's not even an offer at that point. It's just a number of, it's just a bunch of features, but it's not an actual offer. An offer has to clearly articulate for the person what problem is going to be solved with what vehicle that's going to solve the problem. So like, I'm saying this because I made a lot of shitty offers in my career. I mean, terrible offers, offers that didn't make no sense. I'm like, what? When I look back now, I'm like, Jay, what were you selling? I'm like, girl, I don't know. I was just trying. But guess what? That effort is that effort is good. But now we got to redirect that effort around good work that will produce good results. So like, it, I, re- I read this earlier as a quote from um, a guy named like Zach Pogra. Pogrob, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but I want to I want to share this with you. Obsessed fans start with obsessed creators. You don't choose your obsession, but you choose the vehicles for them. And basically saying that if you are not obsessed with the problem that you are coaching your clients on how to solve and you're not obsessed on you're not obsessed with the person that you're solving that problem for, you're going to struggle generating qualified leads and you're going to struggle creating a good offer. An obsession is required in order for us to to succeed in business, in my opinion. And if you're, and again, that goes back to a lot of what I said earlier. Like if you do not have close proximity to the problem where you're really, like you're so good at it because at some point you had an obsession around it to have mastery around a skill set, and you're not obsessed with who you are solving the problem for, you're going to have a lot of disconnect. It's going to be difficult creating content. It's going to be difficult showing up. It's going to be difficult having confidence on a sales call because you lack confidence around the offer. So of course you you know, that's, that's, I think that's the other reason why people hide from their content is because they actually don't have conviction around the thing that they are selling. And if you don't have conviction, of course you're going to lack confidence because you're doubting yourself. So that was, the last, that was the last point, y'all. That was the bonus tip for the day. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope it gave you a lot of perspective and fresh thinking as you're moving into 2023 about what you need to be focused on, what's really required of you if you actually want to be generating sales and closing clients above that $1,000 price point. Um, You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Just thank you guys for who bought a badge. Thank you guys for supporting. Thank you guys who shared this live stream with a friend. Um, If you know you have a business bestie that needs to watch this, tag them in the comments in the newsfeed once we publish it. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye, y'all.